0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, as we mentioned, uh, the focus on oil has been an important one over the last several weeks, especially with the announcement earlier this month by OPEC Plus saying that it was going to cut production by a combined 2 million barrels a day. That ends up being about 2% of uh, the daily output of the countries in OPEC Plus. It was a move criticized by the Biden administration as being short-sighted. The cuts will actually start next month and will carry through at least OPEC Plus's next meeting, which ends up being in December. Pleasure to be joined right now by Ambassador Joseph Westfall, who is a former U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia and a senior global fellow at the Lauder Institute here at the Wharton School. Ambassador Westfall, great to have you back with us.
1: Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you, too.
0: Let's start with your reaction to the move itself, and, and, and really, what's driving at this point? Because there is a lot of speculation around this.
1: There is a lot of speculation. I, you know, I think one of the things that I uh, have noted in, in many of the statistics laid out recently is that um, many of the world's largest producers, including Saudi Arabia, were not really were not really producing at the output levels that they. Uh, we're supposed to be producing it, so this reduction in output is not going to really affect what they've been producing and supplying the world. I think we, we're making much more of this than there should be.
0: For Saudi Arabia, the country that that you were working with uh, as a U.S. ambassador, their economy obviously tied significantly to oil prices. So what has this last couple of years been like and the impact for Saudi Arabia on seeing prices go up and down the way that they have?
1: Yeah, I mean, they uh, they've they've when I was there and soon after during the Trump administration, they were running budget deficits because oil prices were so low as oil prices began to increase to get closer to $90 a barrel um, that helped their economy. They're also you know, very smart in some ways. They're, they're buying some Russian oil at pretty low prices and using their oil to export at a higher price. So the Russian oil they import is for their domestic consumption. Obviously, they have a strong effort to try to reduce their dependency on uh, oil for their own economy and diversify their economy and that's that's something they're working on but it's going to take some time
0: is there a level of of, i would say inconvenience or angst in the process right now of opec plus having russia involved especially with what's been going on in ukraine um
1: well yeah there's a lot of angst about russia you know they're the world's largest exporter of oil uh to global markets and uh One of the things that uh, I think the administration rushed into a kind of a negative reaction to this decision by OPEC, but the decision by OPEC could actually negatively affect Russian oil prices um, in in the sense that uh, you know they may they may decide to cut sales to some countries, which would in effect um, increase the price of Russian oil and. and reduce their ability to export so it's a very complicated situation but all in all you know when we look at oil like say here in the United States you know when I go to the gas station here I live in Westchester Pennsylvania uh, and I look at what I pay for for a gallon of gas you know about 60 percent of that cost is the crude oil price but uh, 40% is refining, uh, refinery, you know, cost, distribution and marketing costs, and you know, federal and state taxes. So you know, those those costs are have been increasing. Those that that 40% has been increasing because we haven't built a refinery since the 1970s, I believe, and nobody's yep. going to build a refinery today, given the fact that we're trying to get away from uh, these kinds of. Deals, so refining capacity is really a challenge uh, globally, not just for us. And when, when you know, President, so I, go ahead.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, finish up. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ambassador.
1: I was just going to say, I think, I think we should, you know, before we jump to conclusions, um, you know, both, both our, both the White House, Department of State, and others, uh, we should be kind of thinking about the longer term effects of what's going on with oil production supply um, certainly you know refining capacity and so on uh, and because it's all tied together it's not just you know the output by one particular country
0: well and that seems to be a kind of i guess the 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 unknown quantity here or maybe it's a little bit known is the fact that as you mentioned uh, there is a a push more towards Uh, EVs, uh, which would cut back on on oil production here uh, in the United States. The president's visit to Saudi Arabia a while back, uh, I think, and and give me your thoughts on this, I think the expectation was President Biden was trying to go there to secure the relationship so that uh, the oil production levels would potentially stay where they are and there wouldn't be as much uh, pressure on the U.S. markets, in terms of the production levels, as you said, that are here, that are tightening up in recent uh, years.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the president made it very clear before he left, and in fact, after he came back, he said it in press interviews that he did not, uh, he did not go there to get the Saudis to uh, to increase uh, output. Um, first of all, because he knew very well that they were pretty close to their their maximum output anyway Uh, so he went there essentially to try to reset the relationship Um, this change by OPEC took everybody by surprise but it wasn't the dramatic um, situation that I I think it was not dramatic uh, in a sense that Congress reacted so negatively with members of Congress immediately Putting forth legislation to ban weapon sales and do all of those kinds of things, I think it's that there's a, a lot of overreaction to this. And you know, so the other thing what? about it is, we're trying to we're trying to reduce dependency on oil, and yet we're asking countries to increase output of oil. Uh, so it a, there's a disconnect with those two policies. We, sh- we should be encouraging Americans to reduce their dependency on. On gasoline and do more to to uh, uh, control climate.
0: Well, and really, there's a there's a big timing issue that is at play here, and and it's not linking up. Is that obviously, you know, there is a want to move forward with uh, electrification of of vehicles, uh, but you still have the production element of the cars themselves and maybe even more so the infrastructure piece as well that still needs to be built out. And it's at the same time with this pare down on oil, and it doesn't feel like the two are really meeting up right now. It seems like th- we're going to have a gap between those two for some period of time.
1: I think, I think you're right, Dan. I think we are at that crux of the, of the problem of, of trying to transition from one to the other. But what I'm seeing, for example, in the military, if you look at the Army and the Navy and the Air Force, they're doing a lot to transform their, um, whether it's their uh, military vehicles or their uh, ships or airplanes, uh, to uh,
0: you know a reduction
1: in, in, in the consumption of oil and a transition to uh, electric vehicles, so there's there's a lot of work being done that's actually very successful now, and we're testing a lot of that equipment uh, as we speak. So I, I think we're moving in that direction. But you're absolutely right. We're not quite it's not quite in sync, and it's hard for Americans to see where we're going with that.
0: So that's a, a side to the story which probably hasn't been talked about a lot. And obviously, the military plays a significant role in the presence and support of this country, but you do have so many different vehicles within the mix of the services uh, that uh, that are out there uh, that electrification could be a, an important component moving forward for.
1: Absolutely. You know, when when we were fighting in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, and I would travel there because I was the Undersecretary of the Army, uh, our dependency on oil was so significant and it cost us so many lives uh and and tremendous cost because we had to bring the oil by ship into pakistan then transfer it through pakistan and on tankers sometimes you know those tankers would be attacked and you know diesel or gasoline stolen um but we needed that in country to to fuel our generators and to fuel our vehicles And we have realized that we can't be dependent on that anymore. We have to have a way to energize our bases, you know, our our forward operating bases with generators that are not dependent on diesel or gas and with vehicles that can move basically on uh, electric, uh, on batteries and, and, uh, you know, other forms of uh, fuels rather than oil and gas. The
0: other other component to it, Ambassador, uh, is the fact that we're going to have a component of oil uh, in our economy, in our culture, globally as well, moving forward. I I don't see a time where we are going to be totally off of fossil fuels. It's going to still be here as a component. But it's that, as you said before, it's that understanding of what that right mix is. As we move forward between EVs and, and oil burning or gas burning uh, engines, uh, to see what what the right level will be moving forward in, in the years ahead.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Dan. I think you know what we're seeing too is um, companies that are developing technologies that reduce the engine, whether it's a automobile engine or a truck engine or a, an airplane engine. And reduce the the amount of gas it consumes in order to to uh, move that vehicle you know by ten, twenty, thirty percent, so we're doing all kinds of things to try to reduce the, the amount of gasoline and oil that we consume in our, our current vehicles, knowing that we're going to have to as you will stated, it's going to be a long time before we go completely away from fossil
0: fuels. Yeah. I would assume that the the answer to the next question I'm going to ask you would be very low, but in terms of the, the, the Middle East countries, where is EV adoption at this point? Is it very minimal because of the strength of oil in that part of the world?
1: Um, You know, I don't know exactly uh, what, the, that's a really good question, and I'm going to look, at, look that up, and maybe in a future interview I'll have a better answer yeah. for you, but uh, because I don't know what the sale of, of EV vehicles is in Middle East countries. I do know that from a policy standpoint and from their Vision 2030, the Saudis and the uh, Kuwaitis and others are also uh, looking at the future and saying, you know, we, we are not going to have this resource and its uh, its financial benefit for much longer. So we need to restructure our economy and our dependency on it. So they know it's coming, and they're investing a lot on wind and certainly on solar, a lot on solar.
0: How much? Um, so how much?
1: The, the, how, the, excuse me, the, um, the Saudis are doing that.
0: How much of a shift is that in mindset? I mean, you said it's a it's a big shift in terms of process, but in terms of mindset, to get to make that shift from something that has been such a staple for them for many decades now.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 you know it's it's very difficult, uh, and you know the Saudi when I first got there as ambassador around 2014, the average saudi was subsidized almost entirely you had to pay a very small price at the gas pump for oil, for gas for the vehicle but other than that electricity water um, gas whatever they needed for their homes you know was was completely free uh and then the government had to started imposing uh, fees and 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 uh charges for these for these uh benefits uh which really shocked the, shocked the, the the society, they weren't accustomed to that. They were completely subsidized. And that was because they were running deficits, because oil prices went way down to, to $12, to $15 a barrel, uh, whatever those prices were back then. And uh, and so they realize now that they, they have to move away from their total dependency on oil. Uh, it's just not sustainable for them in the long term.
0: So then, this latest move by OPEC Plus, in, in terms of the the two million barrel a day cut, and I mentioned it's about two percent of uh, of daily output. It, it, do you see this as somewhat of a temporary move, or is this kind of you know part of the path on on, on a longer process? No, I, I
1: I think it's it's somewhat temporary in a sense. I mean, I think that this this will allow them to to maintain oil prices where they are. I think for. At least in the near term, which is I think what they what they hope to do, so I don't think it's going to affect prices and prices are not going to jump way up. they didn't uh, right. after they made the announcement and so i I think that this is, allows them to maintain a certain level of income in their economy uh to to offset any potential uh, deficit issues that they may have
0: well. And I wondered that because, as you said, with the pricing component, I mentioned today we're seeing, you know, West Texas crude down three and a half percent, Brents down about two and a half percent, but we've kind of settled. It feels like into that eighty to ninety dollar range category, and maybe that's kind of the mindset of a lot of the oil producing nations right now is to not lose what we have right now. At least hold on to what we have, you know, for the next uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Dan. I, I think that's that's what's right. You know, I think a, a real problem, though, however, that, that people don't focus on as much is ref- refinery capacity, which is very mm-hmm. limited globally, not just in the United States. And so, you know, the president is talking about uh, investing more, in or excuse me, extracting more from from our uh, oil reserves. We're a large producer of, of of oil in the world we we are an exporter of oil um, and uh, you know I think everything is lining up in a very contradictory way today because of the elections because the president is facing the challenges for the coming elections about the you know this the increases in prices uh, which are not only related to obviously fuel but are related to Um, The pandemic and other other supply chain problems and so on and so forth. So we've got this economic uh, problem going on, which can affect, you know, our our political results in the coming election. And everybody's concerned about that. And so it's become a, a huge issue that way.
0: You mentioned about the understanding by Saudi Arabia and some of the other Middle East countries about, you know, what the future of energy is going to be like. What's that going to mean for oil production and those companies that are in, in the Middle East uh, as they move forward. That conversation has been had here in the United States about whether or not you know the, the, the major oil producers here can adjust uh, in terms of what they're going to be producing in the future, maybe get into new areas. Is that something that has a capability in the Middle East as well?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that Aramco, which is probably the world's largest oil producer company in the world and a very efficient company is also trying to invest in a number of other things. Um, Saudi Arabia as a nation is investing more and more in mining. And, uh, you know, it's got a lot of very uh, rich reserves of very important minerals uh, under, their, under the ground that they haven't really exploited to a great extent yet. And so they're looking to do more of that. But yeah, I think if you look at Chevron, you look at Shell, you look at um all of the large company, world companies, uh Exxon and of course Aramco, I don't think they see, you know, the, you know, the end of 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 oil and the end of gas and diesel. I do think they see reductions in there. They've already started to happen. And they see a transformation coming, but they don't see it in the. Sh- I don't think they see it
0: in the short term. Ambassador, great to have you with us uh, again. Thank you for your time and your insight.
1: Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Appreciate what you do there. Thank,
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, uh, Ambassador Joseph Westfall, uh, who was uh, ambassador to Saudi Arabia. He is a senior global fellow here at the Wharton School at the Lauder Institute.